Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jara, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Kess. I mean, Grace. I'm Kess in this situation? That seems a little out of character, but I can live with it. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and we have... Neelix. Uh, Tuvok. <laughs> I mean, Andy. Sorry, I, I was going to say Neelix, but I thought it was too mean. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we're talking Gucci campaign Neelix. Yeah, right? <laughs> He's bringing yeah. sexy back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Voyager episode Elogium. Uh, but before we do that, we have our regular housekeeping, which is reminding you that our show is supported 100% by our patrons on Patreon. If you have a dollar or more a month that you would like to contribute to our show, you can hop onto patreon.com slash women at warp to support us. It helps us get out to conventions and upgrade equipment and pay for hosting and all that kind of thing. So um, we really appreciate your support and uh, thanks for everyone who's supporting us already. Again, if you're not already a patron and want to become one, you can do so at patreon.com slash women at warp. And another way that you can help support our show is by leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's a way that helps other new listeners discover us. So we always uh, like to get your feedback in that form. So any other housekeeping? I'm officially going to be at PodCon in the winter. Yay! PodCon! 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 Cool. We will uh, post more details of that on our social media and we'll mention it again as we get closer. Also, our next episode after this, which so two weeks from this release, will be our book club, Articles of the Federation. So if you're interested in joining us for that discussion, uh, head on to our Goodreads group to comment, take a read of the book, and let us know what you think, and maybe we'll read your comment on the show. All right. So on to Elogium. Does anyone want to take a stab at a, a sort of brief overview of this episode? It's like the Cass Ponfar episode. That's pretty much it, yeah. Sure. Alien alien sexy times. Also adding to that weird recurring TV thing of have sex or you will die, but if you have sex, you will die. Okay, <laughs> but see, no, I don't even think of that as a TV thing so much as a fic thing. <laughs> that is very true. That is a fanfic trope that is uh, very well known. <laughs> And it always makes me laugh to see it in, in Star Trek, and I always think it's funny that Star Trek, like, birthed this trope in fanfic to begin with, yes. with Spock, who has, and they also started sex pollen with Spock. So, like, <laughs> they really did a lot for us in the fic community, so thank you, the original series, for that. Yes. I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, so in this episode, there's a few things happening. But the main one is, yeah, that Kess is basically going through puberty. And it turns out the Okampa only, that women Okampa only become fertile once in their lives. Which means, I guess, that they have to have a lot of multiple births to repopulate. Otherwise, they're like having their population every generation. Yeah, this... This already we have a bunch of questions about the Ocampa with what is even their deal, but this just adds to it. Yeah, and so Kess starts going through this early and has to decide whether she's going to have a baby with Neelix. Ugh. I mean, for me, that would be an easy decision. Yeah. Hard no. <laughs> but I actually, this episode is kind of weird in so many ways. 
but I actually like it. Oh, really? Yeah. In many ways, I actually do like it. And oh, yeah, me too. One thing that I like is that for once, all of the plots are on theme. So, yes. like, your your B-plot is not just some random crap. <laughs> it's more alien sex. It's, like, actually tied to the to the themes and to the A-plot. But really, when I think about this, like, whole Ocampan deal, I don't know how they're not extinct. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, not only do they have, like, this really ridiculous lifespan, but also, like, you can only be fertile once, okay? And you also have to go through, like, really specific rituals of, like, rubbing of feet and stuff. And it's just, it's really a lot of obstacles. And you have to be bonded for seven days with your partner. Yeah. A lot of obstacles here. There's, wait, 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 wait. So this, this culture not only has it so that you you only really 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 need to have sex once but they make you wait like <laughs> yes we will have sex in seven days <laughs> i appreciate that that's just such a dick move on ocompan society's part well and okay so seven days in ocompa time is like a couple years <laughs> Oh my god, why would you do that? Why would you take that much of your life in, like, coitus with Neelix? <laughs> well, I think this just kind of goes to show that the way they set up the world building for this race really doesn't hold up if you start to, like, think about it. No, no, it just straight up makes no goddamn sense. Right, and also, it makes it, like, it really dives into how absolutely ridiculous ridiculously creepy it is that she's in a relationship with Neelix. Totally. That was just creepy from day one, though. This just drives it further home. It was always creepy, but this episode really drives it home because apparently she's prepubescent. And... Right, and, like, a lot of the allegory is, like, teen pregnancy. Yeah. But with Neelix being, like, a full-grown adult and Cass being some sort of, like, sexually mature child. And that uh, is a whole load of gross mess. So Totally. Like, yeah. Neelix has witnessed genocide and, like, been a soldier and a merchant. And Tart Applesauce on Tumblr wrote a big analysis of Kess's age difference and basically said, if one Ocampan year equals nine human years, then Kess is between the ages of nine and 18 in human terms. Uh, that means Neelix took up with her before she was a- even age of consent in the US, um, in like the USA and most developed countries. Uh, uncomfortable. Even if he only started sleeping with her once they came aboard Voyager, this is uncomfortable. But it gets even worse if, as stated, the elogium is directly analogous to human puberty. Kess is freaked out because she's too young for this to be happening. In humans, puberty in females happens roughly around the ages of 12. So this means Neelix is in a romantic sexual relationship with a girl younger than the human equivalent of 12 years old, or 14 if you want to stretch it to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, it's messed up. It's messed up. And I can't help but feel like they came up with this idea with Kess to kind of fit into this, like wide-eyed girl trope. Yep. And then, like, when you really start to think about it, you're like, gross, man. And, like, they could have just made her a regular alien. 
they didn't need to do this. And I, I guess I get it because they wanted to do something super alien and weird and like different and sci-fi-y. But then you put her in a romantic relationship with a, a dude. So like a fully grown adult. Yeah. And not only just a dude, but like a gross dude that's super insecure and possessive and creepy and like tries to control her in every way. Duh. And it's, it's it, the whole thing's super gross. Like, you know, it's bad within the love triangle. Tom Paris is like the more attractive option. Like, that's yeah. not a good sign. The more sensible option. Yeah, the one that will respect you more is Tom Paris. Oh, good lord. Yikes. Yeah, it's super gross. Like, in the very beginning of the episode is another one of the scenes where, like, Neelix is, like, getting all territorial because he thinks that Paris is flirting with Cass and is like, I know people like that. And basically, like, the subtext of that is, like, you're mine. Yeah. It's not like, like, somehow I'm you can trust that I'm going to look out for you better than this other dude, even though they both just want to sleep with her. Which is kind of a really creepy recurring theme every time you hear um, a true story of, like, a younger woman who ended up marrying very young to a much older man. Usually it falls apart because there is a level of him wanting to keep controlling her there. Yeah. Like, and he even goes, like, you're such an innocent. Oh my god, this is giving me way too many Woody Allen parallels here. Super gross. And then, so, like, in some ways, that kind of makes it interesting and I think good that the first person she tells when she realizes what's going on isn't Neelix, but it's Janeway. Smart move on her part. And I think, like, we'll probably get talk more about the Neelix stuff, but I, I actually really like the discussions she has with Janeway in this episode. And I think it, it gives them both a lot of uh, room to sort of demonstrate a like caring kind of maternal relationship and I guess sort of the kind of advice and support you would want. Wouldn't that have been an amazing arc for them to do on Voyager for them to come on board and for Janeway and co to make her realize hey Neelix is not your best option here and for her to ditch him. <laughs> yeah I mean she doesn't go that far but she does definitely support whatever Cass wants to do. She isn't like you're too young you can't handle this. The other thing that I really like in this episode is I really like the Janeway-Kess relationship, but I also really like the Kess-the-Doctor relationship, yeah. which is one of the highlights of Voyager for me anyway, because I like that Neelix is like, well, first of all, Neelix is a total douche when he is in the uh, sick bay with the Doctor, and the Doctor's trying to figure out what's wrong with Kess. He's in his face and like just screaming questions at him, and the Doctor's like, out. Which is the correct decision, right? Yeah. And then later he's like, it's not fair that he's not a real person. He shouldn't be able to tell me what to do. Really, bro? But, like, then later he says something similar to Kess, and she says, he's very real to me. Like, Kess is the the number one doctor protector. Like, she is the one that has, like, seen that he is a person before everyone else and, like, fought for him. And I just really love their relationship in general, but it's super cute in this episode where she's like really lonely and scared and she's missing her dad. And they have that very sweet talk where he's inexplicably rubbing her feet. And I just think it's very cute and nice and such a cool relationship for both of them. And it really deepens both of their characters. And that's the best kind. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what good conversation should do for the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in this episode it works really well. Actually, like, the last scene that they have together is one of my favorites, where she has decided she isn't going to have the child, and he talks about, like, you know, while there's a powerful biological drive, at times almost impossible to resist. Species are driven by these urges in order to survive, and she goes... But isn't that why we have minds? To look beyond biological urges, to consider their consequences? If I'm going to ask myself to look at those consequences, then I have to ask myself some questions. And she, like, talks about, like, if I, I, I'm I not sure I'm finished growing, how can I help a child grow? And I'm just like, damn, I'm totally pulling part that beginning part on my mom next time she raises grandkids. <laughs> it's like, isn't that why we have minds? <laughs> Biological clock isn't everything. Yeah, but, like, this scene is a a good kind of microcosm of why I like this episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that it has a point of view and a really interesting one. And it kind of tackles some really complex issues to do with pregnancy and relationships and mating rituals and, like, all this sort of stuff. But it does it in a really interesting way. And I think... I think it works. Mating rituals cause me so much trouble on the day-to-day basis. (laughs) So maybe let's just go back to the Neelix stuff for a second. Because, um, so like he starts up being territorial and then the next thing is like Kes starts acting weird. And this part I think is supposed to be kind of just a humorous regurgitation of pregnant women be crazy tropes. Yeah. Where she's like eating dirt and just generally like eating everything and and feeling super weird and not even pregnant and she's already got the pica. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that that happens, but and then like Andy you mentioned they go to sick bay and he's really annoyed and then when they figure out what it is and she tells him Like, he is so preoccupied with how it's going to affect him. And I get, like, that's a normal thing to think about. But I feel like she spends the whole time making him feel better. And relationship-wise, that is a bad sign. You do have to admit, though, that it's pretty funny that when he's trying to drag her to sickbay, she takes the flowers he brought her in apology and eats them. (laughs) That is really funny. That is gold. She's, yeah. it's so funny. It's like such good physical comedy on her part. Like she's, she's just sitting there and she just grabs a handful of flowers and just is like, arm, 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 arm. <laughs> yeah, so funny. <laughs> totally. But like right away, he's trying to talk her out of it being like, you, you know, and she, she does a really good job just like calmly countering all his weird ideas. Like somehow if she had a baby, she couldn't continue studying medicine and all this kind of stuff. And then basically when they reveal that he has, I think, like 50 hours to make a decision um, before the stage will pass and she won't be fertile anymore, he basically just like bails to go deal. I mean, good that he's thinking of him, his own questions and whether he wants to do that. But I don't know. It's just annoying, especially like at the end at when she decides she's not having a kid, then she's comforting him because he had decided suddenly that, like, he was really looking forward to a baby. Oh, for God's sake, Neelix. But I do really like the Neelix and Tuvok scene where Tuvok's like, why would you be doing anything different with a girl than a boy? <laughs> I wish Tuvok was my dad. We all wish Tuvok was our dad. Tuvok for dad 2018. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he is kind of like the dad on that ship. He's yeah. just sitting there, like, eye-rolling while everybody's getting into shenanigans. And then he makes them run laps. 
It's pretty great. I don't know why, but I just had the great mental image of uh, Tuvok just straight up doing some of the John Mulaney dad quotes. Like, you have the moral fiber of a chocolate eclair. (laughs) Want to see that now. And, I mean, that's a great, great scene anyway, that Neelix Tuvok scene, because I just really like Tuvok in that scene and, like, the way he breaks down what being a parent means to him. And it kind of, it really brings us into sort of his emotions, even though he says he does not have them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Towards being so far away from his children. And like, I especially like too, that he has that line where he talks about how his daughter benefits from his presence and his parenting as much as his sons. And I just, I just really dig the way he talks about, both the responsibilities and the joys of having children, mm-hmm. while at the same time not saying he doesn't experience joy. B.S., but okay. And I, and what a great detail to put into your character who is constantly presented as being cold and detached and just can't deal with this to be, you know, actually a really good and involved dad. Totally. And it's it's part of one of the smaller themes in this episode because most of these themes are about sex and procreation but it's also about the fact that there are people on voyager who have loved ones far away you see that Mm -hmm. throughout the episode you know janeway makes a comment about how she hopes that her boyfriend will wait for her and tuvok's got kids and ensign wildman has a husband that's back on ds9 just reminding us that there are missing loved ones for a lot of these characters and reminding us of the tragedy that is Voyager, that is their everyday life. Like, even when they're dealing with all of these shenanigans, they're still, they're mourning in a lot of ways. They're mourning that people that they lost and that they're not sure that they're ever going to see. And I mean, especially with Tuvok, can you imagine like your dad goes off into space and doesn't come back and Mm -hmm. him knowing that they're, waiting for him like that's that's heartbreaking yeah yeah and this is also the episode where we meet samantha wildman and she is pregnant apparently having got pregnant before they left the alpha quadrant which is weird but is explained by the fact that this was supposed to be a season one episode and uh, some of the the creators, including Jerry Taylor and stuff, noted that like the fact that it became it was pushed to the season two made it seem weird, like that she had somehow been pregnant for like seven months without knowing it, um, which at this point was not explained. And a bit later, they they sort of have a throwaway line about how like because her husband's a different species that like that was that led to a really long gestation. A plot hole. We can fix that with alien biology. Yeah, but it's um, another example of um, the way that the being lost in the Delta Quadrant has affected people's lives and that, like, she doesn't even know if her husband thinks that she's dead and then she's going to come back with a baby that he didn't even know he was expecting. Yeah. And it her pregnancy also kind of ties into another one of the themes that they explore through on every level of this episode. Yeah, I know. So many themes to this episode. I really think it's very well crafted because it's also about whether or not Janeway feels she has the right to control the way that people are going to procreate, love each other, have a relationship. 
Yeah, because they've kind of got a Noah's Ark situation going. Yeah, exactly. And whether or not they need to, and whether or not, you know, they have the right to make that decision for the crew. And I think that's tremendously interesting. Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. think Janeway handles it so well. And I love that she's like, because we start out the episode with Shakote coming across people having fun in the elevator like they're on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and he's like, should we say something? She's like, no, man, we're in space. They're going to pair off. They're going to have relationships like there's no one else. She's also like, Starfleet has always been reluctant to regulate crew members' personal lives. Like, remember Troy and Riker? Remember <laughs> right. Picard and Crusher? Remember Worf and Troy? Remember yeah, so Kirk many. and Janice Rand? <laughs> it, <laughs> just, the list goes on. And then Chikoti's like, yeah, okay, I take your point. Remember a lot of Kirk and a lot of different people? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that that's a healthier way to look at it. Is yeah. like, there are going to be relationships, how do we handle them? As opposed to, let's try and stop people from having yeah. natural human and in some case alien urges yeah and but i do think it's interesting that they bring this up at all and it's Mm -hmm. also a little bit of flirtiness for her and shakote oh definitely Mm -hmm. so there's there's some eyes but janeway (laughs) also saying you know i'm the captain i can't i can't have a relationship with anyone on my crew so yeah they really get a lot of stuff into this episode, and I think it's very impressive. I, again, though, want to say, I, I can't be in a relationship with anyone because I'm the captain. I, again, want to be like, really? Really? Because we've seen some captains that that wasn't really, you know, applied to quite so much. Yeah. It's too bad that, she, well, no, you know, see, I, I don't know, as I kind of agree with her. But at the same time, it is kind of hypocritical because we've certainly had other captains getting into relationships. We've had dude captains not have this standard placed on them. Yes, exactly. But also, I do want to say that it does make me laugh a lot that Janeway's way of like around this is going into the holodeck and having like Jane Eyre like <laughs> adventures. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And uh, to be honest, probably what I would do too. <laughs> I'm I'm single, so I'm just gonna rip into this stack of bodice rippers. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think it's a bad um, idea in principle to be like, hey, I'm gonna be. I'm also stuck here with this crew. Yeah. If I have a relationship with someone and it goes wrong, then. I'm stuck with that person for maybe the rest of our lives. So maybe that's not fair to anyone, Um, especially if it's someone higher up in the crew. And then how are you going to work with that person? So like, I think that's, that's valid. It's just the, like the double standard that comes about. And the fact that you get the sense that part of the reason they did that with the show is this idea that you wouldn't respect a woman as much if she was in a relationship. Or if she was dating around. Like that you, you needed, you needed her to be, yeah, you needed her to be taken like she's she's on hold for a guy, but she can't be like out there dating the crew members or like subject to the whims of her hormones. Much like a Korean pop star, she's been put on a love band. <sighs> That's your Korean pop music reference for today. More K-pop references, please. Yes. That was for you, man. But I mean, when you look at, I agree with you, I think it's super interesting that they explore this, but when you look at like the actual conversation they're having, it does feel 
very much like first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage, like kind of a like heteronormative assumption that like uh, she says, like eventually people will begin to pair off. So there's an assumption that people are pairing off heterosexually. Um, And then basically they start saying like, it's inevitable uh, like Chicote, I wasn't even thinking about procreation, but I suppose it's the inevitable outcome. Um, so they start talking about it like, well, inevitably, if people are having sex, they're going to have babies. And I mean, there's a lot of members on the ship. So probably, yes, there's going to be some babies. Um, but just like, it's just worth just unpacking that a tiny bit, I think. But then they do have the conversation about what if we need to repopulate the ship, which is that's, I think, like, super fascinating, this idea that like, yeah, if we're still on this ship, like, we're, a bunch of us are going to die of, for various reasons. We're going to need, like, replacement crew. And that is, like, a little bit of a creepy idea, Ugh. but, because it's, like, it feels sort of like social experimentation. Can't find crew members? Breed them. <laughs> yeah. I, I like how that's their thought, not, like, we can pick up crew members along the way or find them in, 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 if we run into a habitable planet or something no jamie's like we did that with neelix never again (laughs) right off the table until seven shows up i will say that it is a very common kind of dystopian conversation that people have Mm -hmm. uh and this this conversation made me think of actually battlestar galactica because they have a very similar type quandary where they have a certain population and at that point they're thinking about outlawing abortion mm-hmm. because they need their population to grow and do they have the right to do that. And I just think it's interesting that they came at the same problem, I guess, but the thematically and like tonally very different. And Janeway's yeah. decision is very different. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it is something that would come up if you are... In this case, they're lost, but, like, if you do have a small population and no way of, like, leaving, that is a question that's going to have to come up as creepy as it is to start thinking about, like, breeding an engineer to take over for Balana. Yeah. (laughs) Just makes me think of uh, opening chapters of Stranger in a Strange Land where they're talking about, well, this mission took twice as long to plan. Because we couldn't just send these single men to be off alone in space for the rest of their lives with just each other. So we had to find wives for them who are also scientists and capable astronauts. Or they just, like, stop letting people use the holodeck. Like, sorry, guys. Gotta, like, do it by yourself or with someone else. Real people only. No Mr. Rochester's for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's super interesting. And I I appreciate that they're, they're... still having like a pretty respectful discussion about it. And you don't ever get the sense that Janeway, like it would take a while to get them to the point of seriously considering any sort of like restrictions on people's reproductive rights. Like they're very supportive of Kess having a choice and there are like many options in between like, you know, not supporting people having babies and supporting people having babies and then like forcing people to, which I don't, ever get the sense they're really seriously considering. Yeah, and then Anson Wildman, when she comes in, and Janeway figures out pretty immediately what she's talking about, and you can sense that she's nervous to tell Janeway, and Janeway is just like, congratulations. And it's it's fine, you know? Yep. 
And I, I think it's great. And I mean, I think it's great because it brings up so many of these issues, but I also think it's great because it ties into the A plot. <laughs> yeah. So many episodes do not do this. They just have like throwaway filler. And I yeah. get that because you're doing 27 episodes and like production is really rushed and like you can't quite make it all fit together neatly sometimes. So you have to throw on your plot hat and be like, okay, uh, it's a disease that came from a rock and you know, <sighs> like this sort of stuff. But this episode is not that episode, right? There is definitely a sliding scale in the quality of the B plots. <laughs> right. And we, this is really the C plot and we haven't even talked about the B plot yet, which yep. is that there are like <laughs> space sperm sperm yeah like i was trying to think of a better way to say that keeps it on theme keeps it on theme <laughs> they were literally so the images of the cloud were cgi but they were partly composited from footage of magnified sperm so it's like a oh cloud gosh. of aliens and they actually say they flagellate like when they're observing how that they how they move janeway sa- says they flagellate and it's these like <laughs> little red like basically sp- Base sperm that are attracted to Voyager's energy signature or something or warp field and damaging the ship. They're going to need a giant condom. <laughs> they make the whole space around them look kind of like womb-like because it's all red and oh yeah. Gosh. This is not subtlety, okay? No, it, it is really, really not. <laughs> so, th- I, but I, I think it's great because, okay, so first of all, it's hilarious. But second of all, so this B plot is the reason for our A plot, right? They've tied in the the, the space sperm have some sort of sciency uh, word I don't remember <laughs> field that is affecting Cass and her hormones. They're they're radiating horny. Yeah, basically. So like these that they're interconnected plots, right? And. I I just I can't get over it. It's so so dang funny. Like they're the first of all they're like observing the sperm and like mm-hmm. flying through space and like watching it and stuff and like that that all of that is so funny. <laughs> just I just I like I liked this episode when I first saw it. I liked it even more when I saw it the second time. Yeah. And I, I, I get the sense, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, that this is one of the kind of more less re- well-regarded episodes of Voyager. Uh, I don't know. Like, it, I, I've always thought it was, like, pretty good for season two. See, and there are always, like, these episodes that are kind of randomly love that other people are like, what are you doing? Home Soil is one of those. I think home yep. soil is a great episode. And- well, she's eating some home soil today. <laughs> yeah. But, like, ugly bags of mostly water is genius. And then also, everybody was super excited for me to see that DSI episode move along home because they thought <laughs> I'd hate it. And I was like, this episode's pretty legit. I like it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly got some panned reviews like Cinefantastique rated it two out of four. It was rated in the unauthorized reference book Delta Quadrant one out of 10. I'm not sure how legitimate a reference that is, but it's one that 
Tim Russ and Jennifer Lean and Kate Mulgrew all had nice things to say about it. And Ken Biller, who uh, did most of the rewrite on the script, said basically he thought it was a good episode. Um, it just came at the wrong place being at the beginning of season two when it should have been near the end of season one. Yeah. Yeah. If thematically it makes more sense in the first season, because this yeah. is still when they're dealing with a lot of these feelings of like, oh, crap, we're alone in space. What do we do? How great would it have been, though, if it reached a point where they're like, her husband's an alien, so, you know, her delayed pregnancy makes sense. And someone just looks at the camera and goes, does it, though? Does <laughs> it? Does it? Does it really? And then we've got a pregnancy Mamma Mia situation on Voyager. <laughs> I think it would be great if Tuvok broke the fourth wall more. Ah, uh, he would be the perfect one to do so. He would just, like, look at the camera and just raise an eyebrow. <laughs> The office style. <laughs> That's pretty much the entirety of his arc on Voyager, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but there's also the the scene with the space sperm where, like, so then the big one shows up, and it's clearly, like, seeing Voyager as a rival, because it's whatever the opposite other gender or sex is from the space sperm. And... Space ovum? It, like, yeah, starts, like, attacking Voyager. I mean, they refer to it as a he, but it's really, like, you can't... You can't gender these things because they're ill. Yeah, but see, I think that they did that because they instinctively codified the aggressive behavior yeah. as masculine. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. would make sense. Yeah, even though, like, the way that they're behaving is, like, sperm towards an egg. But they, the, you're, you're totally right. Like, they're like, it's an aggressive one. It's a rival. It's big. Therefore, it's male. So, yeah. But, um, but then, and then, like, Chakotay eventually recommends like look uh trying to bump it isn't working they just seem to like it more like yeah and uh it's like i think we should roll over to show we're submissive and vent plasma so it seems like we're behaving like the little character or the little the space sperm and uh and <laughs> the that little, works the little space sperm. yeah and so they basically roll over and show show the thing Voyager's belly, and then it's, like, no longer interested and flies away. And then there's another, like, very J- J.C. Shipper line where Janeway jokes that, like, well, if I have any questions about mating behavior, I'll know where to go. Dreamweaver! <laughs> Chakotay, show me your belly. <laughs> <laughs> I will point out, too, that, like, not only does the rival whatever space sperm uh be like oh well these people aren't worth fighting the smaller space sperm are like oh well these these people aren't worth attaching to and then they go to the other one which gives us the greatest line of this episode and one of the greatest tuvok moments of all time where he says it appears we have lost our sex appeal (laughs) yep Oh my god, I it love it. It is such it. a great line. Apparently, when uh, Ken Biller was, like, pitching the rewrite to the episode, he basically pitched that line, and uh, I think it was, like, Brandon Bragg or Rick Berman, I they were just like, ha, sold. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was Brandon Bragg. So, uh, yeah, Ken... Uh, so sorry, this that, that actually wasn't Ken Biller, but it was the original writer um, who was named Jimmy Diggs. Jimmy Diggs act- actually sounds like an old timey news reporter, though, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, and he, um, but he had actually been in the Vietnam War, and there was a thing where they turned the lights on at, on their ship at night, and like they were swarmed by these fish, Ooh. and so that was like the mental image he created that part of the episode about and then jerry taylor added the kess storyline but then when Diggs was pitching the story he pitched um the uh the tuvok line captain i believe that we've lost our sex appeal and said that brandon braga just laughed and said sold i did hear somewhere that uh jimmy Diggs said that he based a portion of this episode on his war experience and part of me was like kind of assumed the worst like what part (laughs) What part of this? Did you episode? did you go through puberty early during the war? Did one of your one of your co-fighters take a child bride? What what? <laughs> did you eat a lot of flowers? <laughs> did you hit puberty and discover what the beautiful young woman you were? Did you realize you needed foot rubs? <laughs> well, I'm sure. Yes, everybody yes. needs foot rubs. Yeah. Especially during a war, probably. I will say, though, that if somebody pitched this episode with that line to me, I would also go sold. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like that. No question. I, the, the first time I saw this episode, I laughed until I cried at that line. It's just so perfectly delivered, and it's the perfect line for Tuvok, because, I mean, imagine if Paris had had that line, because Paris could have probably brought a different spin on it that could have been funny. If it was Paris saying that line, I probably would have gone, shut the hell up, Tom. But Tuvok's, like, deadpan delivery (laughs) is the most perfect thing for that line. It's so funny. I also like that, uh, I mean, Paris at this point is still pretty annoying (laughs) in this, but, um. Yeah, exactly. I I did like the part where he misses the crewman making out in the turbo lift and it's like, what was that all about? She goes, I'd call it an example of indiscreet shipboard fraternization. He goes, really? Sorry, I missed it. It was very in character. Yeah. And actually, like, it's worth noting that the, the rewrites for this episode were done during the filming of Caretaker. So, uh, like, the writers didn't have a super strong grasp on where the characters would be by season two. And I think other than the theme timing and the timing of Samantha Wildman's pregnancy, that it, like, the characterization is very good. Well, I mean, yeah, and Kim just stands there. <laughs> Something <laughs> very new and that's, different. That's also pretty accurate for Kim, so. <laughs> that's in character. That That really, that tracks. That makes sense. I do want to say, though, that I I appreciate that, like, so Belana and even Tuvok are standing there on the bridge going, we have to attack it. And I appreciate Chakotay kind of just sitting there and thoughtfully thinking it through and being like, we're approaching this wrong. And I, I dig that. I dig, and I also dig that Janeway's response to these creatures in general is very Picard-like. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not going to harm them. There's this great moment where she's like, we're the ones that are interfering with them. Like, they're mm-hmm. just living their lives. We're the ones that are encroaching on their space or whatever. And Chakotay yeah. coming up with the idea is a really good usage of, you know, the show's concept of having Janeway as a leader. But Chakotay is kind of there as a co-leader, but coming from a different angle and a completely different background. Yeah, and I just like the idea of... He's probably the closest thing they have to an alpha male on that show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Harris, maybe, but 
only in the mm-hmm. sense that he's super... Curse thinks he is. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, like, not really. But Chakotay is the closest thing they have to, say, a Riker. Uh, yeah. And giving him the... Having him have the idea of being submissive and, like, showing that the other being has dominance over them. I just like it. I just think it's cool. Kind of twist. Because you have Bolana being like, shoot it! <laughs> Captain, sometimes you just need to know when to be a sub. <laughs> I also really, I mean, okay, so I'm just like, compare and contrast for a moment with the child. Yeah. Wildly different handling, though. It's not 100% analogous, but just, like, the respect for the woman's body in this episode is so much greater. And not, like, assuming that having a child or not having a child is that, like, one is better than the other. And the just, like, generally taking a minute to consider things. I mean, Picard does in the episode in The Child as well, but it's just... And also, like, I like that it shows pregnancy as messy. Like, I like that Kes gets, like, this gross yellow stuff on her hands, and she's, like, sweaty and eating dirt and stuff. And it's nice that, like, she didn't have to look like a, you know, a porcelain doll when she's... Eating flowers. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I just liked that it showed that there's, like, you know, bodies can be kind of gross. Which we see addressed a lot less with women characters. Yeah. You get instead, like, they look perfect, and then they give birth, and then they look exactly the same as they did before. Or they have the skin on their face regenerated with the makeup on it. <laughs> yes. I, <sighs> I do like that Kess, in the end, she decides to focus on herself. Yeah. And that's not treated as a bad thing in any way. Yeah, except for Neelix's disappointment, and Neelix's disappointment is more about, like, his feelings towards having child more than hers. It's less that he's disappointed with her and yeah. more that he's disappointed with the loss of something that he had gotten excited about. Yeah, because, so, like, he got all excited because yeah. he was trying to support her. He wanted to, like, come around to where she was at because this was a really important opportunity if that was what they both wanted. And he got there, and then suddenly it wasn't an option. Right. So I, like, Neelix in general is pretty gross in this episode. Like, the first third of this episode is Neelix being horrible in, like, one million different ways. He even gets jealous of the doctor wanting to rub her feet. Yeah. Just the worst. But his at the end, I think it makes sense that he's disappointed. And I don't yeah. think that he puts too much of an emotional burden on her a little mm-hmm. bit because she comes and she comforts him. But like, for the most part, he's like, I'll get over it. Well, and they say they might be able to. Yeah. And that anyway. makes him, but he doesn't know that, you know? So like, it's, it's nice that he kind of, he's disappointed, but he's ready to move on. And I dig that much at least. He's shown some growth in the episode. Very infinitesimal, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like knowing you're exactly two feet closer to home. But I, yeah, I mean, when we did our episode on episodes for girls, Annika chose this episode. Yep. And she chose it because she thought it was a good allegory for teen pregnancy and also for young women just going through puberty in general. Just be like, yeah, it can be hard. And... 
I think that that was a good choice. I She was kind of like, when she brought it up, she was like, I know this is kind of out of left field. <laughs> We're all allowed a left field choice. I, I think it was pretty apropos. And um, I like this I episode. totally agree. I mean, I love that no one is shaming her for yeah. it. Like, either way, they're going to support her. So even though, like, it definitely was deliberately designed to have some uh, analogs to teen pregnancy and there's a line from Ken Biller where he's talking about you know we want to explore the question of like just because you you can have a kid does that mean you should yeah. but they don't ever like I remember at the that exact time that this episode aired like getting lessons in school about teen pregnancy it was much scarier yeah <laughs> it was like it was like you better not do this whatever you do don't do this just like whatever you do don't get pregnant and like and the way that we were sort of trained to look at girls who did get pregnant in high school was awful in yeah. retrospect so i love that this is just like you should be empowered to make your own decision you should be supported to be able to evaluate the consequences and take time to think about if this is what you really want. But at the end of the day, whatever you choose will support you. And also that there's time and there's time to let yourself grow up yeah, and become who you want to be and do the things you want to do for yourself before you decide to have a child. Yeah. So overall, both thematically and like story structure wise, I like this episode. Should we should we do r- ratings? Who wants to go go first? Grace, you do you have a rating for this? I'll give it uh, three out of five fistfuls of dirt. <laughs> I'm gonna rate this one four point two out of five space sperm. <laughs> I am gonna give this episode four out of five uh, ritual foot massages. <sighs> I want me a ritual <laughs> foot massage. I think we averaged out like four out of five edible plant arrangements. <laughs> that you then <laughs> yeah. stuff in your mouth as you're being dragged to sick bay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. Awesome. Well, any other thoughts before we wrap it up? I do want to give a shout out to another really great Tuvok line. It's a throwaway, uh-huh. but I like that Neelix is struggling so he doesn't make lunch and then he's like I've got this stew and it's very popular and Tuvok's like well there's no other option so that would make sense (laughs) (laughs) and I just love that because I love it whenever anybody acknowledges that Neelix has a captive audience like (laughs) they have to eat his food and it's terrible food and also going to that like he thinks mashed potatoes are gross so he should not be a cook like, yeah. He should not make anybody food if he thinks mashed potatoes are gross. So just saying. He cannot make life decisions, much less culinary ones. <laughs> I think that my favorite, like, Neelix recipe is in the episode Per Tuition, which I think you've seen already, Andy, the one where he gets in a food fight with Neelix throwing Alfarian hair, hair pasta. pasta. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, I have seen that, and that's a great, that's a great scene. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, Grace, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and in a literal barn burner at a barn. (laughs) (laughs) And what about you, Andy? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at FirstTimeTrek, where I am live tweeting my way through Star Trek extremely slowly. It's not slowly. You're just making your way down Trek, walking (laughs) fast. 
impulse speed. It's like oodalali speed. And I'm Jara, and you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And you can also find our podcast on Twitter at Women at Warp. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Women at Warp. And our website, womenatwarp.com. If you would like to send us a message, you can do so on those above channels. But you can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. 